Hello, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli, and this is today's tech briefing. In today's program, so we describe ourselves as a conversational messaging platform. Okay, and each of these words, messaging and then conversational, has a sort of um, implications to it. That's after these headlines. The Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine's protection against severe cases of the disease holds steady after six months, according to new data released by the companies, The Verge reports. But its ability to protect people from developing any symptoms of the disease dropped over time, the analysis showed. Overall, the vaccine was 91% effective against symptomatic COVID-19 over six months. It was most effective in the stretch starting seven days after the second dose and running for two months. In that window, it was 96% effective. Its efficacy then dropped around 6% every two months to 90% between months two and four after vaccination and to around 84% between months four and six after vaccination, the Verge reports. There wasn't a similar drop in efficacy against severe cases of COVID-19 defined as cases where blood oxygen levels drop below 93% and heart and respiratory rates are elevated. The vaccine's efficacy against those severe cases stayed high at 97% for the entire six-month stretch after people got their shots. The data was published as a preprint by Pfizer and has not been reviewed by outside scientists. Freshworks founder Girish Mathrabutham and AK Software's founder Manav Garg have started a new venture fund together to back early-stage software products companies being built out of India or by Indian founders. Set up as a global fund in Mauritius with a corpus of $85 million, together also counts Shubham Gupta, who led software-as-a-service deals at Matrix Partners until last year, and Avinash Raghava, founding member of SaaS Bhumi and former iSpirit and NASCOM fellow as its founders, Economic Times reports. Together has raised capital from a network of almost 150 entrepreneurs, including BrowserStack's co-founder Ritesh Arora, Cred's founder Kunal Shah, Capillary Technologies founder Anish Reddy, and Unacademy's Gaurav Munjal. Blaze, an AI-based edge and automotive computing solutions provider, has raised $71 million in its Series D round of funding, Franklin Templeton, a new investor, and Temasek, an existing investor, led the round, along with participation from Denso and other new and existing investors. To accelerate the product roadmap and scale the business with this funding, the company plans to rapidly expand its Hyderabad, India operations in the next 12 to 18 months. Blaze plans to strengthen its talent base in India by hiring engineers and AI technology experts in areas including hardware design, software development, verification, research, and customer services. Flam, an AR-based social media networking company, has raised $3.5 million in seed funding from Silicon Valley Quad, Inventus Capital Partners SV, Nine Unicorns, Quesh Ventures, and various angel investors. Flam will use the money to fuel growth and user engagement on its new social media features build a scalable next-generation AR engine, push AR adoption, and expand to international markets. The funding will also help Flam build a high-quality team with expertise in computer vision, graphics engineering, GPS mapping, 
social media product development, including growth managers and 3D designers. For the first 10 years of Gupshap, Birut Seth and his team toiled away quietly building their messaging platform. In fact, their original consumer-facing platform had actually garnered 70 million users in just India at a time when people had only feature phones. The company pivoted and built a platform for businesses to send messages to their end consumers. And today, Gupshap is a leading provider of conversational AI to enterprises around the world. Shade's work was not well known until he raised $100 million in April. And yesterday, Gupshap announced $240 million in fresh funding. I spoke to Shade to learn more about the company and his plans ahead. Okay, uh, Virud, uh, welcome to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. Thanks for having me. Conversational AI, of course, uh, is a happening field uh, these days. Uh, and uh, I see that there's increasing demand uh, uh, for this technology. So for uh, people who are uh, less familiar with uh, your work, and, and I put myself in that category as well, uh, tell us a bit about uh, how you started Gupshap. Uh, what was the problem that you wanted to kind of uh, solve? And what was the opportunity you saw there? Sure. Yeah, happy to share. Uh, firstly, uh, so so we describe ourselves as a conversational messaging platform. Okay, and each of these words, messaging and then conversational, has a sort of um, implications to it. So uh, let me just start with something that your listeners will be very familiar with. And today, they receive you know messages, text messages, SMSs from uh, businesses. You know, typically the bank will send you a message saying you spent 100 rupees at the cafe or your bill is due. Um, you know, the e-commerce company would say your order is confirmed, your package is arriving or the food delivery service or the airline would say your flight is booked and or delayed and so on. Right. So businesses have a need to communicate in real time with consumers and uh, they, they send out millions, actually billions of messages worldwide. Uh, and Gupshap provides that platform, right? So we provide a, a messaging platform that all these enterprises connect to. So they send the message to Gupshap and in turn, Gupshap will deliver the message to the user. And to do that, you know, we, we connect to every operator. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, infrastructure in the middle to make sure the messages go quickly and reliably uh, and everything is tracked and monitored and so on. Uh, now, traditionally, a lot of this was just SMS, but now you have richer additional messaging channels coming up like WhatsApp and uh, Instagram and so on. And through these other channels, you know, consumers can even reply. So instead of just one-way messaging, now you're having two-way conversations, right? And that's what's called conversational messaging. In this case, right, imagine the user could have clicked on that bill pay message or responded to it and made a payment in one click or they could have rescheduled the package delivery, or they could you know, upgrade the flight and so on. So the moment you have two-way interactions between consumers and businesses, it really is transformative. And then the final step is sort of the conversational AI, meaning to do these conversations in an intelligent way, businesses can use AI to write software that allows them to understand naturally phrased, you know, uh, or human queries phrased in natural language that uh, to, to understand those queries and to answer them and to have a rich dialogue and so on. So anyway, I think that's a quick uh, overview. That's really what our platform does. It's a conversational messaging platform that enables businesses to engage their consumers in very rich ways. 
Uh, when did you start and uh, when you started uh, what was it uh, that you you started with uh, and uh, today what is uh, gapshap capable of sure you know we started um, almost 15 years ago and uh, the key insight at that point was that uh, you know the mobile revolution was just happening and if you wanted to build uh, a Uh, any content or service that reaches you know billions of new users that are using the internet for the first time through the mobile phones you know the only way to reach so many people was through sms right so so the key insight was you know uh, that is the critical requirement or critical enabler to enable communication services and the initial idea was actually a consumer uh, focused idea where any you know is a little bit like twitter and we started about the same time as twitter as well um it was the fact where anybody could publish and then follow other publishers uh and, but all of it was over sms right now that initial model became on the one hand it was very successful because it grew to 70 million users on the other it also became very expensive to continue to run it uh and you know we couldn't monetize it for uh, for regulatory reasons and so on so so i think at that point we sort of pivoted uh we said okay clearly the sms based uh, communication service is very useful but let's find customers who can pay for it right so we then focused on enterprises and uh, you know once it became an enterprise messaging platform i think we've you know we focused on it for the last 10 12 years now and i think it's been doing great hmm uh these 70 million users uh, were they spread around the world uh, where were your biggest markets oh no i think that was entirely in india um you know for a variety of reasons that happened so can you imagine in 2009 or 10 we had about 70 million users on social media at a time where facebook and twitter themselves had less than a million or so right i mean it was much much bigger than those services because at that time right most people had basic feature phones and they didn't have data connections uh so so it was huge and could have been bigger but you know i think the bet we took was that unit costs of sms messaging would decrease as the volume increased right and we were had we were sending billions of messages i think however for a variety of reasons that didn't happen and you know it became really expensive so we had to sort of scale it back now you know if we had the kind of funding then that we have now maybe it could have become you know you look at some of these social media services now you know in the beginning i mean creating community is the hard part and we had already successfully done that right but but anyway no regrets i think you know we're doing just fine and we we hung in there and we evolved and here we are uh, so just uh, explain to us a little bit more i mean this is really interesting i mean 70 million users more than 10 years ago in india uh how were uh, people actually using gapshap at that time what were they primarily using it for oh uh you know like i said it was um, it was uh, very similar to twitter right where uh, a publisher would uh, would publish messages right so there were different kinds of people like say somebody would like to publish you know jokes and shyries somebody else would send inspirational messages somebody else would uh, would be running a a student a college student association or something right so anybody could could create their own you know sort of uh, ha- uh, you know their own feed of messages and then other people they would 
usually these publishers would then get their followers to to sign up to them right it was a and all of the 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 interface was entirely through sms i mean through sms you could send a message saying you know either create a group called so and so or or uh, join uh, the group right and once they join the group then anytime the the publisher sends a message the the publisher would send one sms to gupshap and gupshap would in turn send it out to the 10000 followers were followers of that person right uh and then there were mechanisms for referrals and viral growth and things like that so basically it all grew by word of mouth and it was entirely on sms and we had enabled a whole bunch of commands sms commands that allowed them to do all these things so you know i mean like i said next thing you know it was just by word of mouth and through viral growth and so on you know there were i don't know maybe a million communities and like 70 million users right so on average i would guess it was about 70 users per community or something like that roughly uh how how would you get the word out uh, back then i would imagine people would still not be really you know familiar with using apps and things like that i mean like you said mostly feature phones oh because so let's take a okay i'll let's take a very simple example right so so somebody is now send he says he's sending jokes and he tells 10 of his friends saying hey you know just uh send this message join followed by the, the group name to gupshap and you would become my followers so now you have you start with 10 followers and those 10 people like those jokes so the next day each of them would tell you know maybe three or four of their friends saying hey you know they i mean again they would tell them through text message so they would send an sms uh to their friends saying you know forward this message to this number and when that person does that they become followers uh and when that cycle repeats i mean that's exponential growth right if each person tells at least two other people uh you know that's uh, that's a very explosive exponential growth and it's it's very easy to you know comp- that's the power of compounding uh it it will get to very large numbers very quickly and sending the message to gupshap would be like there'd be a specific number to which they would sms it is it that's correct so that's exactly so that's you know that's what we would publish saying hey here's the gupshap phone number and everybody would know it um, and you know and uh, look people only need to remember it once when they are joining so so that's where they would tell each other some basic instructions but after that you know most followers they don't have to do anything because the person who's sending the jokes you know he's motivated well here was the emotional motivation right you would have these publishers that would end up with 10000 50000 100000 followers right a lakh or 2 lakh 5 lakh some of these communities were really big uh, so now there was a healthy sort of competition right it's a little bit in social media where people want to know how many followers somebody has uh so they would work hard to educate their users or to get their users to refer other followers and so on uh but it became really their identity they were the earliest social media influencers in india and uh, and even the followers found you know entertainment and engagement right because this was literally their first exposure to sort of this global universe of content so i think the the, the publishers loved it it was a huge uh, ego trip perhaps or or just you know very uh gratification from their followers uh and for the followers it was just access to rich interesting amusing content and they could that they could opt in and out of right so if they don't like it of course it's very easy to stop it and then switch to another group uh but so so it, everybody took care of what they were interested in 
but the net result was that there was a thriving community of people that were eager to publish and eager to listen. Mm. So today uh, you're a large platform for companies to reach their end consumers and have them interact. Uh, so give us a sense of uh, the scale of your operations today. Um, well, today, so it's the same thing, except it's a, it's a lot more enterprise focused, right? So, so today our top customers are either, you know, banks and financial service companies uh, or e-commerce companies, you know, travel and hospitality companies, retail, consumer goods, and so on, healthcare, you know, virtually every industry that has a large number of consumers, they would send these messages. In aggregate, Gupshup handles about six to seven billion messages per month. Right, so it's very high scale, high volume, and uh, in aggregate, it goes out to about you know maybe 400 million users. Right, so um, so there are thousands of enterprises sending these messages, and thousands of enterprises sending billions of messages to hundreds of millions of consumers uh, every every month. Right, mm. and now what is the uh, AI layer that you've built uh, on top of uh, all these interactions? Sure. So, so like I told you, right, the, the legacy stuff or the historical stuff was really one way uh, uh, sort of messaging, which is just sending a simple notification from the enterprise to the consumer. Uh, and, but with newer messaging channels coming up, like WhatsApp, like Instagram, like other mess- messaging channels, now it's no longer just one way because the consumer can reply to the message, right? And when the consumer replies to that message, the enterprise has to do something. They have to respond to the user query, right? And, and for the enterprise, they would receive it from millions of users, right? So they're getting a very high volume of messages. Now, one possibility is they could redirect these messages to a, to a customer support desk where manually you know, humans could respond to that. Customer support agents could respond to these queries. Uh, but that doesn't scale very well, right? So, so they are starting to, uh, the, the, the logical thing then is to build software programs that can you know, look at the incoming query, understand it, find the response and send it back to the user. And it's not just like a single query and response, but it could be a multi-step conversation, right? Um, so for example, if the, if the user says, um, you know, I want to, um, uh, you know, I want to buy a plane ticket. Um, so then the chatbot, uh, so then the software program called a chatbot would have to say, okay, what city are you flying from? What city to, you know, what time do you want to fly? Uh, you know, here are the options, pick one and things like that, right? So that's just one example, but you could have, uh, right? So this whole thing is called sort of a conversational experience and to make it work and work right, Right, um, you need AI software um, to to understand uh, what the user is saying, and because the user is using regular, normal, you know, natural language to to phrase that query, and it's it's a very hard problem. Uh, there's a whole field of AI called natural language processing that is devoted to understanding, you know, human language. So anyway, that's where you know conversational AI comes in to enable these rich interactions. But uh, again, coming back to a higher level, the, the super exciting thing is we are, you know, our vision is uh, of a world where businesses and consumers could interact with each other and it's just simple, using simple natural conversations. 
uh, for a consumer, it should be as easy to chat with a business as it is to chat with a friend, right? So if they want something, if they want pizza, if they you know want to buy a dress, if they have a question, they can just send it out and and just interact with it and it's you know businesses are prepared to provide 24 7 response it works at any time it's instant it's uh, very natural and convenient right there's no training required because we all know you know we we learned how to have conversations since we were babies so it, it's the most natural way to interact and and i think as this happens as this world of conversation experiences emerges um, you are going to, you know, business, uh, we think virtually every business will have to build these things. And uh, there's a lot of tools and technology and infrastructure that's needed to enable that. And that's what Gupsha provides. Mm. Uh, you have just uh, announced uh, a fairly large uh, round of fundraising, uh, $240 million uh, is what you said. Uh, can you talk about uh, how you'll uh, use this money and also, I guess, uh, uh, you know, build into it the kind of features uh, that you think will be possible with conversational AI in the coming years? Sure. Um, so firstly, um, you know, uh, this round um, followed an earlier announcement in April. So in April, we raised $100 million from Tiger Global. And then just today uh, or yesterday, we announced another $240 million on top of it uh, from a wide, a large number of investors, about uh, six or eight major funds and so on. Uh, it includes Tiger Global, Fidelity, um, Think Investments, Malabar Invest, uh, Harbor Spring, White Oak Capital, and so on. So a large number of funds. And these investors, right, they are um, excited about the potential of the space, right, the conversational messaging space. They, they believe uh, what I just described earlier, that a world like this will happen. And then the second thing is, of course, they see Gupshap as a leader in this space. That's why, you know, they've come in uh, with uh, large amounts of capital, right? Uh, what we are going to use this capital for is, is multiple things. Um, you know, uh, first and foremost, of course, is to drive the growth of the business, right? So we are investing in uh, research and development to drive a lot of innovation. We've always been focused on innovation-led growth, right? We, we're all, Gupshap is almost always the first to introduce new products and services and so on uh, related to messaging. Uh, secondly, we're investing in sales and marketing, right? To uh, Across the world, actually, to you know be able to drive more revenue growth and serve more customers and, and so on as well. Uh, third, we are looking at potential sort of, you know, mergers and acquisition, you know, M&A, right? Companies that we could acquire that can help uh, either, you know, add to our product portfolio or be in adjacent areas or give us great talent and so on, right? And then the last thing um, between these two rounds, you know, it's in some ways it's more capital than the company needs. So what we are doing is uh, we are also going to be uh, buying back shares from employees and from uh, earlier investors. So every investor and employee had an option uh, or had you know had a choice to sell uh, whatever amount of shares that they wanted to. And based on that, you know, uh, and based on some calculations, everybody will be able to sell a few shares and get some liquidity. And as an entrepreneur, you know, it, it gives me sort of uh, great, um, you know, satisfaction in being able to share financial rewards with employees who put their blood, sweat and tears in growing the business. 
as well as to early stage investors, right, who backed us maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago. Uh, it's been a very long journey and, and so on. So I think uh, being able to do that is very, you know, is very gratifying. When did you uh, move to the U.S. and uh, what um, made you decide to move to the U.S.? So, you know, it's a little complicated. I've gone back and forth a couple of times. I mean, look, I grew up in Mumbai. Um, I went to school there. I went to IIT Bombay and then came to grad school at MIT. Uh, now, this was in the 90s, okay? Um, uh, and I've been in Silicon Valley sort of uh, for the most part after that. Uh, but in the middle for five years, 2005 to 2010, I had actually relocated back to Mumbai. Um, Actually, I'm no. I'm sorry. The timing is from 2010 to 2015. I had relocated back to Mumbai with my family because a business was growing there, and so on. Uh, and I guess you know, five six years ago, I kind of moved back again to the Bay Area. So I am here right now in San Francisco. Uh, you know, it almost. Uh, I should just mention that you know the previous company I founded before Gupshap was a company called Elance, uh, and it's now called Upwork. Okay. And Upwork was pioneering remote work and the gig economy. And it's kind of funny, you know, I founded that like in the late 90s, right? So about 23, 24 years ago, and we were preaching remote work to the world. But two decades and a pandemic later, now it's conventional wisdom, right? Because we're all working remotely, you know, look at this podcast or all our teams are all remote and so on. So I think the world is changing so fast that location is becoming less and less relevant. And, you know, I actually created a, a company on that business. I mean, in fact, the Upwork is now a public company, seven, eight billion dollar market cap uh, in the US. Yeah. And much of your product development is done in, in India or are there areas where you need people in the Bay Area to work on? No. So I think the, you know, almost entirely are the, the core of our engineering team is in Mumbai. Right. And now uh, of late, you know, people have been remote. So there are people spread all over. Bangalore is probably most notable, but there's people in other cities in the in the country as well. Um, and, you know, we continue to we'll look at people anywhere. I mean, not just the Bay Area, but even, you know, Eastern Europe or LATAM or wherever we can find good talent. Uh, I think we are really leaning into this remote work methodology. And I think, you know, just find, find the best people and the best talent wherever they are. Excellent. Uh, thank you again, Nabir, for making time for this. Uh, I hope to keep the conversation going. Absolutely. Uh, you know, thanks for having me here and happy to come back. That was Birud Shait. By the way, I completely forgot to ask him about his IPO plans. And uh, the Economic Times has reported that the company might go in for a US listing next year. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.